Hello, and welcome to the Future Christian Podcast, your source for insights and ideas into what it means to live as a follower of Jesus in the 21st century. At the Future Christian Podcast, we talk to pastors, authors, and other faith leaders for helpful advice and practical wisdom to help you and your community of faith walk boldly into the future. Here's your host, Lauren Richmond Jr. Welcome to the Future Christian Podcast. My name is Lauren Richmond Jr., and I'm pleased to be joined today by Reverend Lori Tapia. Reverend Lori Tapia serves as the National Pastor for Hispanic Ministries of the Christian Church Disciples of Christ in the United States and Canada, the first woman and the first Mexican-American elected to this position. Additionally, Pastor Lori is a church planter, an author, a community activist, and a public speaker. Lori serves with a passion for relevantly sharing Jesus, for empowering others, and for building and maintaining strong and faithful relationships and healthy communities of faith. Lori received her Master in Divinity from Claremont School of Theology, receiving the prestigious Church of the Good Shepherd Preaching Award and the Disciples Seminary Foundation Award. Lori has over 25 years' experience in community, family, and social service programming. So welcome to the show, Reverend Lori Tapia. Uh, thanks for being here. What else would you like our listeners to know about you? Thank you so much for the invitation. It's always great to be able to talk about faith and our journeys together. Um, I, you know, I, I think if there's anything that I, I would love to be identified as when I think about what I want people to know about me, it's just a lover of life. I'm a lover of life, a lover of empowerment. Um, and, and those two things together... Um, you know, along with family and, and, and the things that are closest is what really just gets me up in the morning is what um, ignites my passion. Um, I just I love Jesus and I love living for Jesus. And uh, that just informs my faith. It's who I am. Awesome. Awesome. Tell our listeners a little bit about your faith journey. Wow. Um, where to start? So I did not grow up um, per se in, in the church. Um, I did grow up Catholic. Um, but when I say I didn't grow up in the church, um, I am, my my heritage is Mexican. And so on one level or another, that's also cultural and traditional, Mm -hmm. um, particularly in the Mexican context. And so um, while I grew up um, knowing about God and, 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 and understanding aspects of God through, you know, my Catholic tradition, um, it wasn't until in my 30s when, um, as a family, we just had a, a crisis, I would say. Hmm. Uh, my husband was kidnapped for 10 days, so I don't know wow. if crisis actually is the, the appropriate word. Um, but through that, through that journey, um, Christ found us. Um, and so, it, it, you know, it's, I, I, I often refer to that as we were set free through captivity. Hmm. Um, and so the, this 10 day journey that he was kidnapped for, um, a couple of months later, we, we were just, um, for a lack of better terms, you know, I, I, it's always interesting to see people's reactions when you try and tell the story. Um, it was almost just like if, if, if God just dispersed an army after us mm-hmm. and everywhere we went, somebody spoke to us about Jesus, um, and sooner or later, um, we found ourselves at an altar, wow. um, pouring out our lives and um, taking on a new journey in our lives. My husband and I, um, as a, a domino effect, my children, my three children were teens at the time, so they thought we were going crazy. Um, <laughs> and, I, and I say that because prior to that, the context was we were nightclub owners. Wow. So, <laughs> so there's, you know, there's, there, there is something that just kind of went from one world to a completely different world. Mm-hmm. Um, and so through that, we um, encountered a, a new relationship with this God that we knew about mm-hmm. um, and embarked into a relationship with this God that is now part of our life and, and, and that we, we know on a more intimate personal level. And so when I think about my faith journey, I think about um, the, the road that I had to walk to go from knowing about God to knowing God and to having relationship with God through Jesus. Yeah. I Forgive me for this semi-lack, not serious question, but I imagine Saturday nights became quite different in your household. <laughs> yes, they, they definitely did. Um, 
you know, just to give you an idea, my son was, you know, we toured the country and had three recordings. My son was our drummer since he was eight years old. Mm-hmm. Um, so to go from from that, um, which is also where my husband was kidnapped from, from, mm. from the nightclub. And so, uh, you know, in that in that process for my teenagers who had grown up in a completely different world, all of a sudden our house was filled with people who were showing up with donuts in the morning and tacos at night mm-hmm. and you know, really just surrounding us with this love of God. Um, I don't know where we would be if it had not been for those faithful um, individuals, those faithful Christians who who saw something and mm. and spent and invested time in surrounding us so that we could understand what a different world could feel like. I don't know that we would have had the strength to do that on our own. Wow. Um, and so I'm grateful for that because that, that to me... Um, taught me what church is supposed to do, right? Mm. That doesn't mean over the years I didn't encounter all the things church isn't supposed (laughs) to do, right? I still encounter that every day in my role. But, um, you know, that really gave me a glimpse of of what the love of God um, is supposed to do, right? It's supposed to help. And so that's what it did for us. Yeah, it's so interesting. Like, I spend so much time on this podcast, and I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about it here coming up about, you know, what how to grow your church and how churches can do better. And it's sometimes it's just as simple as what you just described, right? You know, um, I think on many levels, the the pandemic has helped us to see the things that we didn't want to see or couldn't see because of our current context. And, and so we've, we've been forced into what I consider this new era you know, I think we've been shifted into a new era. It was no longer, oh, you want to go? Well, maybe you might go, but no, it's now it's you're there. And now what are you going to do with it? And, and I, you know, I, I, I've, I've just kind of been pondering about this over and over and over. And you cannot, you cannot be the gospel, proclaim the gospel, live the gospel, you know, share the gospel without relationship. It's all based on relationship. Yeah. And we were challenged in that in this time. Yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah. Dropping some good stuff here already. Well, uh, share a little bit about maybe what are some spiritual practices that have been meaningful for you or you might recommend to others? Um, I, you know, I depend on my spiritual practices. I depend on my daily devotional time on my study of scripture. Um, one of the things that, um, I, I think I, I understood internally um, early on in my walk with God was that it was not the same uh, to study scripture, to prepare sermons and teachings as it was to study it for myself. Hmm. And so I've separated those in my life in a way where I, I now understand that what whatever I'm going to preach and give to others wasn't something that God meant for me and only me, but it was actually meant for the people because I've taken the time to feed myself, right? And sometimes we we don't understand that, especially in a pastoral role or a, a, a lay leader a ministerial role that you have to feed yourself in order to feed others, right? It's kind of like the, the airline, right? Put your oxygen on first before you, you put it on your children. And so for me, that's really a critical piece. On top of that, um, I, I'm, I'm very faithful to my fasting. Um, I, I fast very frequently um, and I fast in different ways. But one of the ways that I fast is... Um, what I would call ayuno de lengua, which is a fasting of the tongue, hmm. um, which is just the practice of silence. Mm-hmm. Um, in in the Latino culture, fasting is very, very prominent. And so um, it's, you know, something that is ingrained spiritually from a young age. And so it's usually, you know, fasting from food, fasting from certain things. Um, but for me, the silence is is something that just stills my very loud, busy mind. Hmm. And so I, I, I really appreciate that practice of, of doing that. And on top of those two things, um, just worship. Worship outside of church. Um, spending time um, just in intimate worship with God, which flows into my prayer life, flows into to those kind of pieces. But, um, you know, really learning that worship is more than a Sunday morning in church where you're hearing a few songs in a sermon, but yeah. taking that into my everyday life um, is just critical for me. Those, those are my my three things, um, all combined with family, because family is my greatest spiritual practice. I would say. Hmm. 
You mentioned re- you mentioned relationship earlier, and I'm just curious, thinking about it, like ha- with the pandemic, so many folks were stuck at home. We weren't able to gather together, see one another. How do you think that has? I don't know if this is the right word. Harmed us spiritually, hindered us spiritually. This is kind of off the cuff. What do you think? I, I think there's a couple of things. I think it's I think it's been a both and. Hmm. I think particularly for individuals who um, were still a little bit more spoon-fed dependent in their spiritual life, um, not being able to have that, um, I, I believe, caused a lot of just internal conflict. Right? Well, how do I, how do I get this that I feel like I need other people to give me? Um, and if we go back to the spiritual practices, I think that when we're not taught spiritual practices in the faith community, when we're not, when we're not um, in relationship with one another, where we can be accountable to one another to help develop those kind of in the way those people showing up at my house at 10 o'clock at night with tacos helped us to develop some spiritual practice um, around prayer and some of those things. Um, I, I think that that was something that was detrimental to many individuals. Um, I think there was a, a point in time where I began to um, talk about how we needed to reevaluate spiritual maturity, right? We saw a lot of people who we th- thought were very spiritually mature just be crumbled by this pandemic. And, and so what does that teach us about spiritual maturity, particularly in Latino context? Um, oftentimes that comes from, oh, you finished this course or you finished that course, but it isn't necessarily... Um, developed in their daily life right and so so i think in that aspect the lack of relationship with others in 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 kind of that role um had some people really hurting um you know it 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 impacted on so many levels but on the other side i also um, experienced individuals who were in that kind of spoon fed you know spiritual faith journey realize, wait a second, I have to find new ways to connect to God. Hmm. Yeah. And so, you know, I've, I've gotten to share some testimonies with some people and, and listen to people's stories um, just throughout my ministry and hear people talk about how they were so dependent on the emotional aspect of going to church on Sunday um, and, and having to find that connection with God with that missing actually helped them deepen their relationship with God. And so, so, so it's kind of a both and. Yeah. Yeah, well, this is great. We're, I do have actual other questions I'm here to have to ask Lori about. So uh, I'll put this on a, a pin on this for right now. But as as I mentioned, reading her bio, uh, Lori is the executive leader and the national Hispanic pastor of Obra Hispana. A, Good job. <laughs> thank you. Uh, a Hispanic ministry within the Christian Church Disciples of Christ. And uh, why, don't you, why don't you just introduce a little bit about that ministry and kind of your role in that? Definitely. Um, so, yes, yeah, so I serve as the national pastor um, for Hispanic ministries. And, and the Central Pastoral Office for Hispanic Ministries serves as the general ministry um, for the Christian Church Disciples of Christ for Hispanic ministries for the whole church. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in my role, I provide pastoral care and I provide support, leadership development. Um, you know, I walk alongside the church in those beautiful moments of anniversaries and dedications of buildings and, you know, just all these wonderful moments. But I also walk alongside the church in its most difficult moments, um, you know, in, in, in moments where the church is, is struggling and has, has gone through difficult times. Um, and so that presence for the, the Latino culture um, that understands the Latino culture is, is very important. And so the, the general ministry, along with the general ministry of National Convocation, which serves the African-American, and NAPAD, which serves um, Asian and Pacific um, Island disciples, um, the Obra Hispana is the, the fellowship or the grouping of all of the Spanish-speaking, bilingual, there's even English-speaking congregations in the Obra Hispana, but individuals who consider themselves um, part of a Hispanic or Latino community. Um, It is basically individuals, congregations, and then they're grouped geographically um, into Hispanic conventions, um, which is kind of like small regions or districts 
um, where they have their own leadership, they have um, you know their own processes for accompaniment and support. And so really the, the Hispanic ministries and the life of the Christian church, Disciples of Christ, are there to support and walk alongside each other from within their cultural context, mm. but also to develop and empower each other so that we can serve the whole church fully and authentically from within our cultural context for the entire cultural diverse tapestry of the Christian church, Disciples of Christ in the world. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, I wanted to ask, kind of dive into your work here in this context a little bit more. I think a stereotype of Hispanic churches in America is that they can be, you know, either very Pentecostal or very evangelical. And I'm curious, like, what other types of churches do you see? So, one, yes, that's very true. Um, even within our Christian Church Disciples of Christ, um, 80 to 85 percent of our congregations um tend to, to operate in an evangelical Pentecostal um, environment. Um, and so it's interesting when, when we think about that from particularly the disciples context, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I have heard people say, oh, that's not disciples. <laughs> um, but then I come back saying, well, that wasn't disciples. <laughs> yeah. Um, because it's not disciples to say that's not disciples, right? And so, uh, you know, we see a wide spe- spectrum um, in our in our cultural diversity, but also in our theological diversity in the Obra Hispana. There are, um, depending on who's who's doing the counting or who's considering, 22 or 23 Latin American um, countries that are represented in the Obra Hispana, um, plus, you know, those who are just mixes of different um, cultures. And when we when we think about the theological diversity, um, you know, we have congregations who um, are, are, you know, at the cusp of open and affirming, and we have congregations who are at the complete opposite of that. And so it's, it's not, you know, it's not out of the norm for me to have conversation in the morning with um, a, a pastor who is identified within the LGBTQ community, um, who is struggling with that within the Hispanic context, yeah. to having conversation with someone later in the afternoon um, who believes that that person should not be pastoring. Yeah. And so, it, you know, it, 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 it's a difficult storm to navigate. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, we're called to pastor. I'm called to pastor, and I understand that as my role. And so I'm called to, to walk through doors and to be the door and to, 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 to serve in ways that, that everybody has access to the door, um, it, you know, through through our ministry, through my ministry, but through the ministry of the Obra Hispana, um, you know, that has been difficult. You know, it's, it's no secret within the Christian Church Disciples of Christ. Yeah. You know, it is no secret that um, there is a more conservative stance. Um, but then I would also say that is not just within Hispanic ministries. Yeah. That's yeah. the life of who we are as the Christian Church Disciples of Christ. And so it's a, it's, it's a continuing struggle. But at the end of the day, I think that um, what makes me the proudest in this process is that there's this table that we're all invited to. Yeah. yeah. And there's moments where it seems like all of the issues, I wish that we could get beyond being an issue church. Amen. Um, you know, where everything is focused on one issue because, you know, this issue will no longer be an issue at some point, but something else will take center stage. And I think that in my own cultural context, I understand that's kind of the way the enemy operates. If we can be distracted with everything else, then we're not focused on Christ. Mm-hmm. And when we're focused on Christ, we can find a, a place to be together. And, and that's the table. I love it. I love it. For our listeners who are not associated with the Christian Church Disciples Christ or have no idea what we're talking about. <laughs> yes. I, w- I think, uh, Laurie, I'm guessing you would agree with this. One of the things that I appreciate about this denomination is what I would say is not only the, the theological width, meaning left and right, but also the theological depth. Uh, and then I know, I think I'd also say like, well, and I just forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> oh, uh, I would tell this to people like, this is a feature, not a bug. I think it's a feature of our, of our, our denomination that we can come together and worship Christ despite our differences, you know, despite thinking differently. Um, good conversation though. Thanks for your thoughts there. Um, let me ask this. 
we we tend to see at least I tend to see I think a lot of churches and this doesn't happen solely in the United States that um, that grow in response to to migration and these churches are vital to helping people maintain uh, their culture and, and their values and their language. How do you help churches, um, you know, that plant and grow in this setting adapt as their community becomes more settled? I think that part of the the response to planting churches because of migration, um, that's it's nothing new. That's you know that's that's the history. That's who we all are, right? Um, in in particular to a Latino context, one of the things that I think is is very characteristic in whatever denomination, but across the life of of, of Spanish speaking congregations, in particular, mm-hmm. um, who many are now bilingual as well, um, is that there is there is a place of of celebration and 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 the liberation that comes from that celebration, and a, a lot of times there's a lot of confusion. You know, we, we talked a little bit earlier about this this reality that so many of the churches kind of flow in a Pentecostal world, right? Um, and so much of that comes from church is a place where people can come and let it all go. Um, you're talking about. Um, demographics, particularly when we're talking about an immigrant population, we're talking about people who possibly are working um, two to three jobs a week. Yeah. Um, you know, there, there could be multiple families living in a, a two bedroom apartment. And, and so coming to church and bringing all of that, you know, all of that with you on, on a Sunday or on a Wednesday, because most Spanish speaking churches have more than one worship experience throughout the week. Um, bringing that with you involves, you know, the, the dancing and the raising of the hands and the clapping and, uh, you know, the, just all of these different components that come into that. So much of that is celebratory because there's a place to come and just be free. And so that, that, that freedom is expressed in a way that some people think um, that's an emotional response or a Pentecostal response. But it really is part of that lived experience of, of this is who I am and this is who we are as a family. And we can come to this place because we all, we all understand there's this common connection that we have. Um, you know, scripture tells us, you know, those who are, 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 are burdened and, and, and worked and, you know, who are tired and come and bring that. And so people come and bring that literally to the experience in worship. And that's an important piece to understand when we think about strengthening these churches for the future. Because if we go back to the spoon-fed, right, spirituality, um, if you're only dependent on that, there's going to come a moment where that turns into routine. And so being able to help churches um, develop strong discipleship programs um, being able to make disciples uh, in the Latino context, that's a, that's a critical component. Um, most of our churches have um, very in-depth theological discipleship programs, um, whether through Bible institutes, through, through study, through small cell groups in the homes. And so that's an important piece when we think about developing their sustainability for the future. The other piece that I think is important is, is helping people celebrate where they are financially hmm. um, because... You could have two congregations paralleled, a congregation, um, a non-Hispanic congregation that is maybe more Eurocentric, more affluent, um, who has uh, 80% or let's just use 50%. 50% of their congregation is tithing um, and offering, and they are bringing in close to a million dollars a year. And you could have the same congregation of 100 people where 50% are tithing in a Spanish-speaking congregation, um, faithfully tithing and only bringing in $100,000 a year. Yeah. yeah. And, and how do you say one is more steady or more sustainable than the other when it's the exact same thing, but the inequities, when we think about salaries and yeah. you know, those pieces. And so as a denomination, as a, as, 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 as a church, I think it's important that we start to look at things from, 
from equality perspectives and and look at things from their cultural context Mm -hmm. because that same second church is just as sustainable as the first. And and so it's, you know, there's these things that we got to look at that are not easy to talk about. I I appreciate your your thoughts here, as I hear it, on a wider kind of spectrum, as I hear, almost to the idea of what is success. And I think the challenge as I see it, at least when success becomes solely about these external metrics of, you know, attendance and giving, like it really doesn't matter what it takes to get to those numbers. As long as we get to those numbers, it's okay. And conversely, if we don't get to those numbers, it doesn't matter what you do. If you didn't get to those numbers, you're not successful. So the pandemic kind of kicked us in the butt with that because (laughs) How the heck were people counting attendance when you had all these people on Facebook who possibly could have just checked in, were there for 10 minutes and then they were gone, you know, all of these different things. But I think, you know, again, I'm very grateful for the learned experience through the pandemic. Mm -hmm. When we have taken time to really analyze what has happened around us, I think what we've realized is the church had church held hostage within a building. Hmm. And I don't believe that Jesus came to establish through his ministry and through discipling the, you know, the, those that were around him, the 12, but also the multitude that learned some lessons in the process. I don't think it was meant to close things up in four walls. We kind of, we kind of took the church from community. Yeah. And, and so now we're seeing people understand membership to church different Mm -hmm. there's people who are now members who will never step foot in a building who are in different countries yeah yeah Um, you know and so there's different challenges how do we begin to think about discipling people how do we think about all of these different aspects of getting people involved in community service and and how do people start to see the church actively engaged in community development again Mm -hmm. Um, I, i think the pandemic has helped us see that it broke the barriers for us Wow, I, I appreciate your positivity there of seeing this as an opportunity. I mean, ultimately, I think we have to, or else it's just one of those things where it can just be a spiral of doom and gloom. Yeah. But I appreciate that. You know, we also saw churches close. We've also, you know, we've, we, we understand the negativity in this. We understand the hardship. You know, the number of pastors who are going through mental illness, yeah. um, you know, the people that we've lost to, to suicide, these are realities. This is real. Mm-hmm. But with change and with shifting into a new era, there's always going to be things that we're going to have to deal with. And many of those things were things that were already happening that we weren't dealing with very well before. Mm-hmm. And so now there's a, you know, a spotlight shed on things. What do we do with that now? Yeah, yeah. Good stuff here. Let me let me shift gears a little bit. Uh, kind of talking more kind of around these things that we've been talking about, intersectionality and such. You know, I think we would we would both agree the future of Christianity is not monolithic, you know, socially or culturally. And I'm curious, as a first woman leading uh, Obra Espana, did I get that right again? You did. Good job. Do you have any thoughts about the distinction uh, between being in, as yourself, being in, in a historically white-centered space, the Christian church accepts Christ denomination, and then being in a historically male-centered space, Obra Ismana. So yes, I do have the honor and the privilege of being the first female, also the first Mexican-American. Um, prior to, to my election, um, it has been all-male, and it's been all-male Puerto Rican hmm. leaders, um, which also speaks to um, just some of the struggle, right? There's there's even differences and struggles when we think about equity and when we think about um, our our own internal racisms and how we've functioned as 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 the church, right? Mm, um, yeah. The reality that um, I sit in this role um, just uh, s- speaks volumes, and I think for for me, the one thing that I understand the most is that my greatest role in this time is to not be the last, hmm. which means um, for not only a woman of color, but for persons of color, 
um, you know, regional ministers of color who are serving in those roles, particularly those that were the first, uh, you know, our, our general minister and president, Harry Hort Owens, right? When you're, the, when you're the first at something, there is an additional pressure, especially when you're a person of color. Mm-hmm. Because you're, you're not just performing for you. Yeah. You are, you are setting a stage for what is to come and you are helping to, for others to be able to see what's possible, right? And so my, my greatest role is to not be the last female that serves in this role. And so there's a lot of pressure with that. Um, I love it. I, I absolutely love it. You know, I, I said earlier that, um, you know, the, the things that spark me the most is my, my love of life through Jesus and empowering others. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this role places me in a position um, to where people can see possibilities, um, not just females, but males, right? Mm-hmm. Um, where I felt like I was going to encounter the greatest struggles um, with my male colleagues and those whom I now serve as their pastor, um, I have not, hmm. uh, you know, and so uh, at the end of the day, I think that it is, it is one, understanding the call, um, understanding that it is God's will and not my own, um, and, and understanding that there is an anointing and an authority that comes with um, what God places in our hands, hmm. um, and that we have a responsibility to use that responsibly, um, with humility, with grace, um, in, in everything that we do as representatives of the gospel, ambassadors of Christ, um, I think reminds me every day that um, there is a lot of work to be done. And it isn't about me um, being a female, being a male, being um, Mexican or being, you know, whatever other cultural, that's part of who I am and that's what God uses. Um, I am a strong believer in identity and walking fully in, in who you are called to be. Um, and, and so because I'm firm in who I know who I am, I'm not worried about what other people think. And so that doesn't impact me. People could love me or they could not love me. <laughs> and and that is that is not going to stop me being the pastor that I'm called to be. Um, and I think that that in itself um, has a lot to do with advancing the church into the future. Um, I think the world, um, the greatest gift we could give to the world is if we could allow each other to be our authentic selves. If, yeah. if everybody could be their authentic self. That would be a gift to the world, in my opinion. I love it. Sorry, I'm taking notes here. Taking notes. Well, let me let me um, let me ask this too, kind of in in this vein a little bit. Um, certainly, in the last five ten years, in in the Christian Church Disciples of Christ is not the only denomination that has wrestled with the topic of LGBTQ inclusion. Um, many of it seems like at least many of the attempts to bring about inclusion are white-centered. What do you think are some ways to kind of work beyond that divide? I think we need to we need to truly understand what inclusion means. First of all, I think we have some issues around fully understanding inclusion um, because often, particularly from the context from which you just spoke. Um, inclusion means you need to, you need to come over here and you need to, you need to understand what I want you to understand and believe what I want you to believe. Yeah, you're not wrong. And so inclusion often is at the expense of exclusion, Mm -hmm. right? Right? Mm -hmm. And so those who, those who are not where I am, um, are either less than, Mm -hmm. um, or, or, or are not intelligent enough or capable enough. And so, you know, I've heard comments like, oh, you're just not there yet. Um, and what does that tell someone about their faith journey and about their theological beliefs? Yeah. You know, it, it, it automatically places a, a, a your ignorance mm-hmm. in compared to, but I have the right answer. And so I think Christianity in itself isn't about um, what's right and what's wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, I think uh, Christianity in itself is about um, a relationship with Christ and and encountering Christ and letting that be a transformational agent for your life and an informational instrument for your faith um, and how you interact with the world, right? And so I think your relationship with God, your relationship with self are going to impact your relationship with others. Hmm. And so if people are 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 deemed as 
um, uh, lower than or less than or they're demeaned because um, they don't believe in a certain way, um, it, it is difficult for us to find a place to come together, yeah. Um, yeah. a place for us to be. I, I, you know, the love when when Jesus was asked, you know, particularly by all those lawyers, so, you know, what's the greatest commandment? Um, you know, he was very clear in summing everything up, right? Love God and love your neighbor as you love yourself. This, this idea of loving your neighbor as you love yourself, um, when, we're, when we're trying to bring inclusion at the cost of exclusion, hmm. then we're, we're not allowing people to fully love themselves in that equation. We're forcing them out of their identity into another identity. And so when I spoke earlier about who the Obre Hispana is, part of the the initiatives and the work of the Obre Hispana is to empower and strengthen identity from within a cultural context. Because then individuals from, and this is is global, right? This is from any cultural context. Um, When people are empowered from within their cultural context, they're able to then navigate outside of that cultural context in a more diverse or a different culture with and and love and engage people because they've learned to love themselves from within their own cultural context. They're less likely to be molded and shaped by a different dominant culture who wants to tell them what they need to believe, what they need to, to, to look like, how they need to act, and all of these different pieces. It's not just in the faith role, it's in society in general, right? And so that's, that's at the heart of, of, of racism often is, is people expecting other people um, to be what they expect them to be. And sorry, that's not authentic living. Mm-hmm. That's stealing someone's identity and forcing them to live in a, in a fragmented or distorted identity. And that is, that's not God's design. So if I'm hearing you right, then inclusion attempts have to be about empowering the other first and foremost. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, when, when I think about just even like ecumenical settings Mm -hmm. um, and, and the way we gather together, it should never be about trying to convince someone of something. I think that's, that's the word that has um, gotten so many people in trouble, right? I need to convert you to my way of thinking or my way of believing. Yeah. I think it's more about encountering the other, encountering myself through you, encountering you through me. And so in that process, um, you know, I come together with the person who may be different from me in many different aspects of life, but still, how can I see how can I see Christ in you? How can I find myself in you? How do I get to know who you are? Um, if I'm coming with the agenda of wanting you to be what I expect you to be. Does that make sense? Yes. Uh, thank you for that answer. I'm sorry. I was, uh, my son no came worries. in for a visit. I saw a little head <laughs> in the corner there. <laughs> Appreciate your response there. Um, before we kind of uh, take a break, and I forgot to tell you that offhand. We're going to take a break here momentarily. Um, I'm just curious, like, you know, you've been leading many pastors and many churches through this pandemic. What have you seen? Like, what are some of the struggles and then maybe some highlights um, that you've seen during this time? You know, I think the struggles have been around feeling trapped, feeling um unable in, in the initial stages, mm-hmm. um, unable to, to go and provide that one-on-one pastoral care. How, how, do, how do I sit with you when you've lost your loved one? How am I there with you? Um, that across the board has to be the, the greatest you know, challenge is particularly if I go back to kind of that um, celebratory family gathering. Church is more than worship in the Latino context. Church is connection, church is relationship, church is family, um, and it goes beyond the worship experience. And so uh, the inability to, to do some of that, particularly for our pastors, um, caused a lot of heartache and a lot of stress. Um, and so, yes, we saw some of our pastors struggling 
um, with, with issues around mental illness um, and, and some of those, just the pressures yeah. of, of, of mental breaking, right? And, and that fractured state. Um, the, the loss of, of worshipers, the loss of members to the church, um, you know, well, uh, you know, I talked about the kind of evaluating the way define, we define spiritual maturity. Many of the people lost in the church were the strongest leaders. And, and so some of those strongest leaders who I think on one end, I would say maybe grew dependent on the routine, um, right? It's really easy to, to grow dependent on the routine of I'm, I'm here this day, this day, these are the things that I do. And so you just learn to live into that routine um, and it stops being transformational at some point. And so for some of those people, um, staying in church in this time um, was very difficult. And so many of them went back to old habits and old ways of, of being um, and, and things that have been detrimental to their life. That has been um, heartache for our pastors yeah. to watch that. On the other side, um, we've seen some of our churches grow. Um, we've seen, um, you know, what I talked about earlier, people... People who you thought were just Sunday worshipers who, who really were not committed to serving on more deeper levels, um, step up. Yeah. Um, we've seen a lay leadership awakened um, beyond imagine. For the Obra Hispana in particular, um, we have developed all kinds of new and innovative programming to provide that pastoral presence and to be there. Um, one of the things that, um, that I developed very early on in April um, was a program that will continue forward. It's called Contigo, Contigo, which means with you. Um, and it's very similar. It's a, it's a live program um, that brings in uh, just different guests uh, with, to, to be on the program with me as panelists or just interviewees. Mm-hmm. Um, the three um, kind of staples for that program or, or pillars for that program is it's meant to inform, to inspire, and to empower hmm. Early on, I think one of the things that at least I felt the Spirit speak into my life in this role was that people didn't need another sermon. People were already surfing through every possible church service that they could. Um, You know, we were working really hard to encourage people to be faithful to their local church Mm -hmm. because um, what that created also was that people were now comparing worship services. People were now comparing the different things that were happening in churches. Um, and so it was very easy to jump from one church to the other. So we were very heavily reminding people, be faithful to your local church, be faithful to your pastors, um, you know, be faithful to where God has placed you. That is your faith home. Um, and so working really hard with that. So this program, what it did was it created a space for us to talk about the things that we weren't talking about in the Obre Hispana. Um, so we've had experts on mental health and we've had conversations on racism and domestic violence and um, just, you know, all of these different the financial wellness. Um, we're hearing people's testimonies. We're hearing the stories of what people are doing. And so we've created a new way for people to grow in their faith, which goes beyond just a sermon on Sunday, right? And so so some of those different pieces, I don't know that they would have happened outside of the pandemic. The pandemic really forced us to do that. We've created um, a continuing education opportunities that brings together people from all across where before it was just local. So now people are connecting on different levels. Um, so all of these things, I think, are, are they, they fall into both of those categories, the difficulties, but also um, those new, new things that have been born because of the pandemic. Awesome, awesome. Let me ask you one more question, if I can spring another question on here. Um, I had on Reverend, or Dr. Reverend Jose Francisco Morales and I asked him, I think something like this, like, what could um, primarily, you know, white Eurocentric churches learn from Hispanic churches? And I'm curious uh, if you'd be willing to answer that question, too. Yeah. Um, again, I think it goes it goes to understanding church beyond faith development, um, beyond a faith life. It goes to understanding church as... Um, an extension of, of family, an extension of life, a part of, of everyday life, and, and including that into the context of who you are as an individual, who you are as a member of a family. Um, you know, I think that that really is um, characteristic, um, I think, but it's, it's also, I think, very 
clearly um, woven into the DNA of Hispanic churches um, is it, it, it goes beyond what church is in, in kind of that ecclesiastic understanding to, to being part of the family life. And I think that that is something that strengthens who we are as a community. Great. Great. Well, let's take a quick break and we'll come back with some closing questions. All right, we're back with Reverend Lori Tapia. Thank you so much for your time. And uh, thanks for, I've been kind of springing questions on you. Appreciate you you uh, rolling with that. Uh, these closing questions you can take as seriously or not as you'd like to. <laughs> but if you're Pope for a day, you know, what do you want to do? What does that day look like for you? You know, you just mentioned uh, Reverend Dr. Jose Morales. And, and uh, this question creates in me just so much laughter and joy. Um, so the Pope in Spanish is Papa, um, which also could be literally translated to potato, right? Um, but the Pope is Papa. And so um, his, his loving, jokingly way of referring to me is as, as his Pope. <laughs> so so um, there's just some inside joke around, around that whole context, which, which I just think is hilarious. Um, First off, I, I don't think I would want to be <laughs> for a day. I think that's something that I'll just say right off. I, I don't think I want that. Fair enough, um, fair enough. But, but with, with the ability to create change um, that could come with that for a day, um, I think it, it would be a, a, just a, a declaration of the suspension of judgment hmm. on who we each are, um, for the rest of our lives. Um, because I think that when we approach relationship with judgment, um, we can never truly develop authentic relationship. Right. Right. Yeah. And so yeah. that, you know, that that's just kind of at the heart of what I believe about relationships. And, um, so being Pope for a day, I would, I would decree that, um, that we are forced to suspend judgment in our relationship building so that we can truly build authentic and, and, lasting relationships love it what theologian or historical christian figure would you want to meet or bring back to life you know um i i really appreciate carl barth um and and, and the one thing that just i bring with me i think everywhere i go um is is his comments around the idea that um that we have to examine or read scripture every day, mm -hmm. um, but that we also have to read the newspaper, but we have to read and examine the newspaper from the lens of scripture. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that's critical, particularly in the context that we're living in today. And so that's been really present for me recently. And so I would just love to sit down and tear that apart with him and have some real deep conversation um, because I have that same belief. And, and I, you know, I believe that, um, that it is important that scripture informs how we interpret the things that are happening around us. Um, and so I hear people all the time, particularly in the Latino context, say, I don't watch the news. Mm -hmm. um, um, I don't read the newspaper because it's all negative. Yeah. And I constantly take it back to that context. How do you know what to pray for? Um, you know, how, how are you interceding for the world if you don't know what's happening? Um, you know, you, you have to develop critical thinking skills and those critical thinking skills come often from the context of what's happening in the world, especially when we can, when we can come at it with a lens from the scriptures. And, and, and so that, I think that's the person that I would, I would want to hang out with for a while. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Um, what do you think history will remember from our current time and place? <sighs> that we weren't in, in as much control as we thought we were. <laughs> mm. Yeah, you know, control is a, a difficult thing, and I think um, we got to a place as humanity mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. where we truly believe that we control things. Yeah, yeah. I think you know when we think about the climate, when we think about the pandemic, when we, you know, just the, all of the different contexts that we're living in in this moment. I, I think that's what history is going to remember. Boy, that generation really thought that they controlled things and <laughs> they just got shook up a bit. Yeah, we got walloped for sure. Yeah. <laughs> what are your hopes 
for the future of Christianity. Oh, wow. My hope for the future of Christianity is that we would um, put Christ back in the center mm-hmm. and keep Christ in the center. Um, so much of the dissension, the theological dissension, um, seems to have displaced from our human perspective, Christ from Christ's place at the center of it all. Mm -hmm. Um, And and so my hope would be that, that through love, through, um, through our work towards justice and, and the things that we're called to do, because I think there is a lot of hard work that we're called to do um, as the church to reconcile the world to God as we're called to do. Um, But my hope would be that, that we could truly reflect the Christ that we proclaim, that we can truly be the church that we say we are, um, and, and that, that that love can be transformational for the world that we live in. Great, great. Well, where can people find out more about you and then uh, your work with Obre Hispana? So um, you can go to obrehispana.org. Um, and that's the website for the Obra Hispana. And there's um, just information on there. There's also some like historical documents that people might be interested in, anybody who wants more information. Um, but that kind of is our, our central place for that. On a personal note, um, I have a website, uh, pastorloritapia.com. Um, on that website, you can find information about a recent book that was released in 2019 that's called Hello, Nice to Meet Me, A Journey to the Most Authentic You. It's not a book about me. Uh, but it does start with my story because I believe that each of our stories is critical to mm-hmm. the the overall world that we live in. And um, learning to love yourself and love your full story um, is the first step to being able to live in the joy of the Lord. Um, and so I fully believe that identity, I said this earlier, but identity for me is, is something that I'm very passionate about. And so um, you can find that there. You can find that on Amazon.com. It's in English and Spanish. Um but I would uh, just, I, I welcome conversation. I welcome um, just, you know, dialogue around, uh, around Christ, around Jesus, around faith, around community, um, around life, family, especially grandkids. I have nine grandkids. <laughs> I have to, the world has to know that I have nine grandkids. So three kids and nine grandkids. Um, but you can find that all out at PastorLoriTapia.com or you can um, find me on social media, um, Pastora Lori. Um, on Twitter or Lori Tapia on Facebook, Pastora Lori on Twitter and Instagram and something or other on LinkedIn is probably just my name as well. Yeah. Well, let me leave for those listening after the fact here. Uh, Lori has this over your what? Your left shoulders. I'm looking at it. This quote. Oh, yeah. If you can read backwards. Yep. <laughs> True power is the power to empower others. And what a great kind of send off to 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 summarize what you spoke about this entire time. So thanks so much for your time. And uh, I wish you God's peace. Amen. Thanks for the invitation. It's been great. Blessings. Thanks for joining us on the Future Christian Podcast. The Future Christian Podcast is produced by Torn Curtain Arts in partnership with Resonate Media. To learn more about Lauren or the podcast, visit futurechristian.com. If you've enjoyed the show, and you think it would be valuable for others to hear, subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. That really helps more people find us. Thanks again, and go in peace.